Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When I reached Mark Joseph Stern, who covers the federal judiciary for Slate, I had one simple question for him. How weird is it at the Supreme Court right now? It's really weird. I will tell you that I am not allowed in because only a small group of journalists who are called hard pass holders who register with the court annually are allowed in right now because of COVID protocols. It's unfortunate because I feel like there is so much body language going on and I'm missing all of it. So I can only say from, you know, reporting and what oozes through the audio that it is a very fraught and toxic environment these days. If you think your workplace is difficult to hang out in right now, consider the plight of these nine justices, a cabinet of rivals forced to come together day after day, even though it is clear to just about everyone how little they can agree on. It's hard to say when the atmosphere became fraught and toxic, but the pandemic certainly did not help. Early on, when the court was only doing arguments over the telephone, it revealed a very gendered dynamic about who gets to speak and who doesn't, because the male justices were frequently interrupting the female justices. Chief Justice Roberts, who was supposed to be giving each justice equal time, ended up allowing people like Alito and Gorsuch to blab over their allotted time. And so you ended up seeing the men really dominate the argument. And I'll say that that does include Breyer, who is a liberal, but he tends to um, just prattle on and on. And it's not just the mansplaining, making things awkward. Now we're seeing a totally different problem, which is the, I call it mask gate. Uh, Neil Gorsuch refusing to wear his mask, Alito and Thomas periodically taking off their masks, Sotomayor having to phone in from her chambers because she's afraid of getting COVID. Just as Sotomayor is a diabetic, we should say. So she's very high risk. She's very high risk. She's a diabetic. She's been very open about it. Um, And, you know, it's a bit ironic because she's been publishing a series of children books that uh, that are about not only dealing with disabilities as a child, but um, helping your friends deal with their own disabilities when you are a child. So it's like, um, you know, ask your friend how you can be helpful. They're called like, just ask, you know, common courtesy, common decency can mean so much when people uh, have disabilities. And Neil Gorsuch wrote a whole book himself lamenting the loss of civility in public life, right? Yes. I I mean, if I wrote this as a fictional screenplay, it would seem too on the nose, right? And and would get thrown out. Neil Gorsuch wrote a whole book about how we need to be more civil to each other, bemoaning the decline of etiquette and interpersonal kindness in both public and private life, um, explaining why he himself tries to be a, a gracious and courteous person. And then he goes and pulls this stunt, which is the opposite of everything that he counsels 
muscles in that book. Um, I, I just, I, I think there must be two Gorsuches, uh, and it, it's like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation, and we have been seeing nothing but Mr. Hyde lately. Today on the show, COVID collides with the court. This awkward workplace is also ruling on federal COVID policy, which is making for some pretty confusing decisions. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. The Supreme Court's awkward dance when it comes to COVID burst into full view earlier this month. That's when the justices heard a couple of challenges to the Biden administration's coronavirus vaccine mandates. One case took aim at mandates for medical workers, and the justices decided to uphold that mandate, arguing that a mandate here in hospitals would keep patients and employees safer. The other case was broader, taking on those workplace vaccine mandates. The Biden administration had tried to do this through OSHA, you know, the Occupational Health and Safety Administration. Their rule here applied to employers with 100 or more workers, either get them vaccinated or test them weekly. And this mandate, it got blocked on a 6-3 vote. Mark Joseph Stern found the conservative justice's logic here questionable. They issue a decision saying that OSHA is not really trying to regulate the workplace because COVID is not a workplace issue. And if you go to supremecourt.gov right now, as we speak, you will see a notice that says, out of concern for the health and safety of the public and Supreme Court employees, the Supreme Court building will be closed. So the Supreme Court has closed its doors to protect its workers from catching COVID. But the Supreme Court has also declared that as a matter of federal law, COVID is not a threat to the workplace or a workplace issue. Um, I, I don't see how you can square those positions. If you're getting whiplash from these two rulings, you're not alone. But Mark says, even more important than the decisions here are the arguments the justices are willing to entertain, even if those arguments didn't ultimately win the day. Because these arguments, they're extreme. There is a growing conviction in the conservative legal movement that much of the federal government is unconstitutional. Hold it. What Most of the government is unconstitutional? Most of government is unconstitutional. That is not my own formulation. That is a direct quote from Justice Elena Kagan criticizing this theory, which has been embraced, at least in part, by five justices of the current court. That seems like a big deal. <laughs> it is a really big deal. Uh, 
The way that our government works is not really the schoolhouse rock version of, you know, pass a bill, signed into law, Supreme Court gets a a thwack at it, and then it's done. Instead, what happens is Congress passes a law with some really broad goals. Uh, End air pollution, um, you know, restrict mercury in the water, protect uh, health and safety in the workplace. And then it tasks some executive agency with figuring out how to accomplish that goal. So Congress doesn't pass a bill saying you can have this many milliliters of mercury in your water. It passes a bill saying the EPA needs to figure out how much mercury in the water is safe and then regulate according to that standard. Which makes sense because I don't really trust some random congressman to know what level of mercury should be in the water. Exactly right. You do not want Ted Cruz deciding how much mercury can be in your children's water fountains at school. And this grant of power to an executive agency is called a delegation. And it happens all the time. And it is just how the government works in 2022 and how the government has worked for more than 100 years because we're a big country and life is complicated and there's a gazillion problems. And luckily, we have an entire executive branch that's filled with experts and doctors and scientists and professionals whose life goal is to deal with these problems. So Congress says, you guys, here's your goal. Figure it out. You're going to do the work. And we're going to retain the power at any time to overrule you. So there is direct congressional oversight of these agencies at all times. Um, And so Congress has sort of reached this agreement with the executive branch where lawmakers give it some goals. The experts try to accomplish the goals. And at the end of the day, if Congress doesn't like it, it can just overrule them. So was your fear that looking at these two Supreme Court cases the justices, especially the very conservative justices, might look at them and say, hey, we don't actually think these agencies have that kind of authority. So that was my sort of um, second order fear. My first order fear is that the justices would say, well, we do think the agencies arguably have this authority, but We think that this renders the laws and the regulations unconstitutional and unenforceable because Congress gave these agencies such broad and sweeping and ambiguous discretion that it it delegated away its own legislative powers in violation of the Constitution. And so even if this rule theoretically allows for a vaccinator test mandate um, or a healthcare mandate, um, we're going to strike it down because it contravenes the actual Constitution, not just some statute. So, I mean, fear aside, it does seem to me like these cases going in front of the Supreme Court, it was a needed intervention because I'm I'm looking at like, for instance, what's been going on in a state like Florida, your home state, where the, the rules there seem to directly contradict what the Biden administration wants to do. Like local Florida governments cannot impose vaccine mandates. So don't you need cases like this to go up to the Supreme Court to kind of figure this out? 
Yes. And, you know, here's the one good thing I, I'll say about the Supreme Court today. It treated these cases with the seriousness that they deserved. It did not try to just resolve them on the shadow docket in a one paragraph unsigned order released at midnight. Um, instead, it diligently took up these cases, scheduled them for super expedited oral arguments and released decisions less than a week later. I think that's healthy. I, I think that's the best case scenario procedurally. And I agree with you that the courts and specifically SCOTUS needed to resolve these one way or the other because it wasn't just that some states had conflicting rules. It was that the law was different in different parts of the country. Like this healthcare rule, uh, it was upheld by some appeals courts and, and struck down by others. So whether or not you were subject to it depends on what state you live in. And that's not how federal law is supposed to work. It's supposed to be uniform. So I was glad that the court intervened. And I'll even say procedurally, I'm glad that it stepped in the way that it did because we needed an answer on this. And like we said, we did get an answer here. It just wasn't as straightforward as some conservative activists had hoped for, because that health care mandate stayed in place. And even though the court blocked the OSHA mandate, the justices didn't do that because of administrative state overreach. Not quite. Instead, the justices ruled against a workplace mandate because COVID isn't just a workplace threat. It's a threat outside the workplace, too. They split the baby, basically. Um, and as usual, you saw Brett Kavanaugh and John Roberts um, deciding which way the court would swing. And the court ultimately uh, blocked the employer mandate uh, by a six to three vote with all of the conservatives lined up and allowed the health care mandate by a five to four vote with Roberts and Kavanaugh siding with the liberals. I have so many questions about this. Like, first of all, does this mean the moderates on the court are now John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh? Yes, it does. Uh, in fact, John Roberts is now the fourth most liberal member of the court. And Brett Kavanaugh is objectively the median vote or the swing justice. But does it make sense to split the baby here to say like, OK, OSHA can't decide that there's a workplace mandate, but Medicare and Medicaid can decide that there's a health care mandate? So I don't I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth and get angry about receiving half a loaf here because I am genuinely happy that the court upheld the health care mandate. And I think it's more important than a lot of observers recognize. Um, but I don't think you can actually square these two opinions logically. Um, they, they feel like they came from two totally different courts because both of these cases involve super duper broad delegations of power. Uh, in the employer case, Congress said, hey, OSHA, you need to figure out when there are hazardous substances that pose a grave threat to workplace safety and do whatever you need to do to protect workers against them. And Congress also said, hey, Secretary of Health, and human services, you need to figure out how best to protect the health and safety of patients at your facilities and pass whatever regulations are necessary to keep them alive. And both of those delegations are like simultaneously broad and kind of specific. They say, here is the goal. It's a pretty clear goal. We all acknowledge what it means. And here are the tools you have and the tools you do not have to fix it. And yet the court came out on one side and said, 
okay, well, OSHA doesn't get to do this because it doesn't have the tools, and came out on the other side and said, well, Health and Human Services does get to do this because it does have the tools. But both of the statutes are equally clear or equally ambiguous, depending on what side you're on. And I don't understand how a rational person could split the baby the way that the court did. But I have to say, I'm surprised by your reaction here. Usually you are the like, burn it down. I can't believe y'all did this person when it comes to the Supreme Court. And I'm surprised to see you saying like, there's some good here. This this, this is okay. (laughs) You know, that's like exactly what Dolly Lithwick said when I put this reaction in Slack after these decisions came down. Um, But she followed it up with like, you just have Stockholm syndrome. Uh, And maybe that's true. Like maybe I I just am trying to protect my brain from the depths of despair that it would otherwise be plunging into. Um, But I, I think that with this court, you have to accept any win that you can. And What I'd like to believe is that in both of these opinions, but especially in the healthcare opinion, the court looked at the range of possibilities and selected the one that least damages the administrative state and the federal government's ability to function. And so even though I hate the employer mandate decision, um, I have to acknowledge that it doesn't go nearly as far as I thought it would in ripping up and just shredding the executive branch's discretion to govern. And that, to me, feels like a real silver lining. When we come back, how long will Mark Joseph Stern's optimism about this Supreme Court last? My guess is not that long. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, listeners. I'm Gabrielle Sierra host of the Why It Matters podcast from the Council on Foreign Relations. Look, the world of international affairs can feel overwhelming and complex, but it also shapes our lives every single day. So it pays to know what's going on out there. Why It Matters is a foreign policy podcast for the rest of us. And with a little bit of humor and a lot of questions, we're here to break down global topics and bring the world home to you. So join us every two weeks on Why It Matters, wherever you listen. So what you most feared from these vaccine mandate decisions did not happen. The justices did not disassemble the administrative state for you. But you've written about how this will not be the last of the cases that ask this question of how far the administrative state can go. So when are we going to be talking about this next? In one month, because there is no reprieve from this Supreme Court. (laughs) 
Um, next month, the hits keep on coming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next month, the court's going to hear uh, a case that challenges the EPA's ability to um, regulate and restrict carbon emissions at power plants. And it is just the exact same problem that we've been discussing, uh, just, just sort of transposed onto the environment instead of COVID. Um, so the question, once again, is... Was Congress specific enough in delegating this power to the EPA? Because Congress did not say you need to restrict carbon. Instead, Congress said you, experts at the EPA, need to figure out what emissions are harming humans and harming the planet and come up with a scheme to limit them. And so the question here— Hold it. I, I know the answer to that, though. The answer is carbon. <laughs> yeah. Well, it should be. I mean, like, carbon's pretty— bad. Like carbon is causing lots of people to die and causing extreme weather events and causing rising seas. And it seems to fit really well within this whole statutory scheme. But the question for the court is, well, do they want to seize on this case to say, even if carbon fits into this scheme, that means the scheme is unconstitutional because it gives the EPA too much leeway. And so we're just going to issue this really sweeping decision that boxes in the EPA and every other agency from doing anything creative or helpful with existing law because, in our view, Congress wasn't explicit enough. Given that you've just seen these vaccine mandate decisions come down really quickly and kind of in a surprising way to you, does that make you look any differently at this EPA case and where it might land? So it does. And here's why. Um, first of all, you know, again, in the healthcare mandate case, Roberts and Kavanaugh sided with the liberals in a very reasonable decision um, about a very broad delegation, which suggests to me that they are just sort of using their own personal sense of, of what should be the law <laughs> to guide themselves. And here it was so clear cut. The entire American medical profession lined up in support of this rule. So they were like, well, we're not going to overrule these, these folks. Um, and I think they also exerted some influence in the employer mandate case because that was really fractured into two different opinions. You have the majority opinion um, just reading the statute very narrowly, saying, well, we don't think COVID is a workplace issue, so we don't think OSHA can really do this. And then you have a separate opinion with Neil Gorsuch, Clarence Thomas, and Sam Alito saying, well, even if the statute allowed this, then it would be unconstitutional, which is the radical and scary kind of third door. And it's noteworthy that Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Barrett did not walk through that third door. Um, they, they, they played their cards a little bit closer and ended up just signing on to a nonsensical but not super destructive opinion. So maybe that's what'll happen in this EPA case. Maybe the court's not going to rip up the entire framework for regulating all pollutants and emissions and is just going to read the statute within artificial narrowness. That would be bad, but it will not be nearly as bad as if the court invokes some ridiculous atextual doctrine to uh, erase or repeal large chunks of environmental law and prevent the EPA from doing anything helpful ever. It is interesting to begin to see the court take shape where we're seeing this kind of middle group where you have Kavanaugh, where you have Roberts, where you have Amy Coney Barrett. And I don't want 
to like give in to the this is fine, (laughs) you know, sort of feeling. But it is interesting to see where people are beginning to land the more cases we hear argued. Yeah. And and I think that the um, the conservative legal movement is probably the biggest player in testing the boundaries of these justices, because what happens is as the court shifts right, um, the window of plausible challenges uh, gets wider and wider and stretches farther to the right. And so we see particularly Republican attorneys general in places like Texas, bringing wackier and wackier challenges. And some of them, they end up winning. Um, I mean, this OSHA case, I think it would have come out differently, maybe even like five or six years ago, certainly, I think, 20 years ago. Um, And similarly, uh, you have cases like... um, I don't know, this EPA case where there is a real chance that the court's going to destroy environmental law in this country would not have happened 10 years ago. But on the other hand, on the other side of the ledger, you've got cases like that challenge to Obamacare that tried to repeal the entirety of Obamacare. And by a seven to two vote, the court turns it away. So that's helping conservative lawyers kind of calibrate where the sweet spot is on this court. They say, okay, well, we can get Kavanaugh and Barrett and Roberts to push this far, but no no further. And they figure out we can do this much work to further our goals within that frame. But if we push too far, then it's going to backfire in our faces. You're telling me the Supreme Court for like a Republican attorney general is like a brand new Maserati. You just got to see how fast this puppy can go. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Look, they are saying that in in their legislation. They are saying that on the floor of their state houses. They are th- these Republican lawmakers in the states are are actually openly declaring now that we have Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh on the bench, we are going to try X, Y, and Z. Um, this was even uh, mentioned by, I believe, Justice Sotomayor in arguments uh, over the fate of Roe versus Wade back in December. She said, we have these legislative statements saying that we're just going to test how far the court will go with these new members. Um, It's not a secret. It's being done in the open. And uh, anyone who denies it is just denying an objective fact. It's funny timing to me, all of this conversation that we're having now about the Supreme Court and whether they want to knock more decisions over to Congress or not. And I say it's funny timing because at the same time that These cases, the vaccine mandate cases and this EPA case next month are are coming before the court. The Senate is talking a lot about the filibuster, and the filibuster is a lot of the reason why Congress has trouble getting things done at the moment. And it just seems like we're stuck in a trap where Congress can't get things done, the executive does things using their authority, and then the Supreme Court says, actually, Congress should be doing that. And I, it feels a little like we're stuck if that's the case. So I agree. And I don't think it's particularly contested that in a system with separation of powers, power tends to flow from the branches that are stuck to the branches that are working. And that is 
is sort of the story of the Supreme Court in modern times. Um, You know, Congress cannot figure out how to pass new environmental legislation. So the Supreme Court decides environmental policy. Congress cannot figure out the scope of federal non-discrimination law. So the Supreme Court steps in and does it. Uh, Congress cannot pass or figure out the, the, the scope of vaccine mandates. So the Supreme Court steps in. This is how the government works now. The Supreme Court is by far the most powerful and important policymaking body in this country. And there are a lot of reasons why, but one that I think is often overlooked is the fact that it runs on a pretty strict schedule. It hears arguments and releases opinions within a few months. Um, it, It works as an institution decently well. The wheels are greased. The justices, you know, are not sort of trying to filibuster each other. Uh, And so uh, at the end of the day, when Congress can't act, the Supreme Court just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Mark Joseph Stern, I love picking your brain. Thanks for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. Please get vaccinated. Don't listen to the Supreme Court. Everyone (laughs) should get vaccinated and boosted. It is good for you. It is good for your coworkers. It is good for your family and your friends. And wear a mask around your immunocompromised friends. And wear a freaking mask. Be a pal. Okay, like, around come on. your immunocompromised colleagues. Like, wear a freaking mask, people. Be a good human. <laughs> Meet the minimal standards of human decency. Be better than Neil Gorsuch <laughs> and put on a freaking mask. Mark Joseph Stern covers the Supreme Court for Slate. And that is our show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Elena Schwartz, Carmel Del Shad, and Mary Wilson. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Catch you back here tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.